Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name is Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. Kim, you're in warm Sydney today. How are you doing? It's been a while. It has been a while. I mean, you know, people listening to podcasts probably don't realise that, but it has, and it's uh, it's quite warm in Sydney, and you know what I think about warm weather, and it's mm. not positive. But anyway, I'm here. Look at me. I'm so brave. I know, right? <sighs> anyway. Mm. Hey. Yeah. Today, we're going to talk to someone who describes himself as the son of shopkeepers. Roberto Cardone grew up in his parents' deli in Adelaide. He'd trot off with his dad to pick up supplies and just grew up in that wonderful world of a, uh, of a, an old-fashioned deli surrounded by good food and coffee. Roberto then went on to co-found some of Adelaide's first premium, dare I say, proper cafes and coffee shops, co-founding Scusi Cafe Bar, Chibo Ristorante, 20 Chibo Espresso Bars, and ultimately, what we're going to talk about today, Cucina Classica. Hi, Roberto. Hi, Kim. Uh, That's a pretty, it sounds like a pretty lovely way to grow up. Yeah, you don't really realise until probably get to this point of your career that that was your training ground, and but that's where you played. You know, I played in mum and dad's deli. was four years old uh, when they bought their first one. And, um, you know, yeah, going to the markets in the morning, you know, at four in the morning to get fruit and veg, going to the coffee roaster down down in Norwood, who we'd go weekly to, um, having um, Italians come in the store and I would sit on a milk crate at the back and 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 uh, decanter out of the uh, the drum uh, brandy into flagons and they'd walk out the back door and pay dad cash on the way uh, we would have the the brewery the brewery guys with the leftover beer uh, would deliver to the shop and like dad was always selling brandy and beer illegally of course um, but, but you know it was and it was and look it was a really fun time and then it, we, they just kept on doing it and had more stores and I even went to Melbourne with them once and um, it was sort of just a special time. It, yeah, I think I think that era really, really was quite special in that regard in terms of there are a lot of things that, you know, really shouldn't have been happening. But at that point it was pretty harmless and really just part of the community. That was part of the fabric of that community. So then you went on, my husband comes from, uh, Adelaide. So he was point when I told him I was talking to you, he just went, Oh, when Chivo arrived, we all just went, Oh, it's like we'd been saved. So what was that process like? Was it um you really obviously saw that gap in the market in down in Adelaide? Yeah, I was pretty lucky before that I spent uh, eight and a half years at Ragoni's Bistro, which was like an institution here, and I was pretty much mentored to be running an Italian restaurant. Um, and we'd done some other businesses together as well. But um, once I left that group, um, it was it was very like Scusi was, um, you know, it was all about what the market wanted. At that point of time, it was early 90s. Um, the economy wasn't so good. Uh, fine dining was on the way out. Casual dining was on the increase. And it was a gigantic casual diner. I mean, we would 
do something like five or 600 meals on a Friday and Saturday night. It would do pizzas um, all night. And then, you know, by the time dinner finished, it would be this quiet time of about 10.30 to 12. And then after all the weddings had finished, 12.30, and then um, people that would be going out to discos and things would come at 2 in the morning and we'd do pizzas until 4. You know, and and then in the morning we'd be open at seven for coffee and breakfast. It was just like waking up. I remember waking up some days and going back to work with a couple hours sleep, and and I had jet lag. Like it was just yeah. terrible. Like it was, <laughs> you know, it, it sh- I shouldn't have done it, but it was just it was so busy. It was wonderful, but it was it was once a, you know that was probably the first understanding of identifying what the market wanted, and we fitted around those needs. I mean. It was a bit of vomit therapy because we just did everything. <laughs> you know, we'll do this, we'll do that, and see what happens. But everything worked. It was just crazy, like you know. And then from that, um, you know, I suppose I started to grow up. In you know, and I wanted more. Um, and you could still see the the high end restaurants. Some still working that were hung around, and like and there were some real classics. In Adelaide, you know, especially um, and some amazing chefs that went on interstate. When I go back to some of the chefs that came out of Adelaide and went to Sydney and just, you know, they flew the flag for us. It was amazing. Um, but I could see these high-end restaurants still working, but they were on the decline and they were becoming less. Um, and the cafe scene that I'd got into with Scuzzi had exploded. That whole casual dining had really Everybody was doing it. You know, it was almost like it was just every corner was starting to open up an Italian, you know, cafe. And and so I kind of like really felt middle market was the place to go. And you didn't want to call it a bistro because you didn't want to be French. And you didn't want to be calling it a, a trotteria because you didn't want to be old-fashioned. Um, and so we were at that time um, we had, uh, was it Cafe Cucina in Melbourne? And, and that's when... I think Italian food changed in all of Australia. And um, uh, one of my partners, Salvatore, at the time, he was linked with them because he knew them quite well. So we started to actually see what was happening around Australia. I mean, I think before Cafe Cucina, we was, uh, I used to go to Marchetti's Latin in Melbourne just to have pumpkin ravioli because it was so good. Like, you know, that was a, a leading thing. So we could see there were things coming to life, but we had to create this sort of contemporary casual diner that wasn't too casual but for, ticked all the bosses. So when we did Chibo Restaurante, we put a pasticceria, we put a wood oven in, we did wood oven bread, we did the porchetta in the oven, we had uh, we had a gelateria in there. It was 180-seater in summer, which go down to 90 in winter. And it was – and it opened up and once again it just went crazy. Like it was – People were coming in making bookings on a Saturday night at 7.30 because they wanted to have coffee and cake. So then we had to put into things like, you know, a minimum spend, you know. <laughs> it was just out of control. And, and um, so there was just too many components to it. Like you could have had this amazing schiacciata sandwich and but you could have had a Flor- Bistecca Florentina that had been aged um, and on the char grill. You know, the, the breadth of the things we were doing and the homemade pasta or the best foliatelle in, I reckon, in Australia at that time and ricotta cannoli, definitely. And then we just, and then we just got better. It, actually, it was, the, it was that sort of place where we just got really great at what we were doing. So we just, so coffee, we, we thought we were good. We got, we just went 
we just kept on going higher and higher. Same with the pastry, same with the pasta, same with the pizza, same with the bread. We just, and so all of a sudden we created this amazing skill set and everyone that worked for us wanted to be part of it and wanted to improve it. And so it's this great culture. And then after about, you know, um, uh, six years or five years of that business, we developed Chibo Espresso, which was the Italian version of what was going around in Australia of coffee franchises. So everyone was doing, there was Hudson's, um, there was Starbucks trying to come to Australia. Um, we had Jamaica Blue. Yeah, Jamaica Blue. The, you know, the, and so all we did was, you know, we're like, but why is anyone not doing what they do in Rome? Like those Roman coffee bars, they're not franchised, but they should be because they all do the same thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, we, work it out, Rome. Yeah, so so we just, you know, we kind of like, you know, the brief was we wanted something that looked like a Ferrari because we didn't own one and this is where our money was going. And uh, so with this bright red, you know, branded shop and um, and failed miserably for six, nine months and then the market just turned. It was that turn of takeaway, that turn of – uh, people being busy, consultants going to meetings in coffee shops, um, public servants no longer standing outside having a cigarette and now walking with the non-smoker and the smoker to to a coffee shop to get a takeaway coffee. So there's all these things, the dynamics of of people. And so probably that one we're a bit ahead of our time, but yeah. when, it, when it hit, then they I caught mean, up. You know, and we just we rolled out twenty of the stores. Um, we sold that to private equity. That was uh, um, purchased by Retail Zoo, which owns Boost Juice. Um, and I worked with them for a few years as well. Um, at the same time, though, we had the manufacturing kitchen, which supplied all those stores, and we created our own brand, Cucina Classica, to things more that we did in the restaurant for you to have at home conveniently. And once again, trying to get a higher level of quality of uh, Italian food for a really reasonable price. So when you were doing that and you had that, you set up that commercial kitchen to supply out to the cafes, were you then also developing um, consumer products as well? So were you already doing sort of pasta sauces and I don't like other pastas and other dishes for, for that consumer market? Well, we originally, when we first started Chivo Espresso, we actually developed all these sort of little takeaway packs. So you go to this little coffee shop, you could have a, a risotto, you could have a melanzane parmigiana, you could have some pasta. You you know, we, we were already doing these sort of things, but the market just wanted a panini and a sandwich. <laughs> so, you know, we were probably better known for our tramazzinis than we were for our uh, for our pastas back then. But at the same time, we, we developed that um uh, when we sold the business, we knew we had to have something of our own brand and so that's why we went into doing meals for supermarkets. So then let's let's fast forward to relatively recently and you, um, you know, so by this point, Cucina Classica is making pasta sauces, it's making lasagna, um, a whole host of different products, sweet and savoury. Is that? Yes. That's right, isn't it? But then you get a phone call. And you think it's a prank? Yeah, it was actually it was it was an email, and it went. Oh, and it was an email, and, yeah, and, it went, and, yeah. it, and it just went to our generic email um, website address, you know, Charles at Cucina Classica, and I, they come up on my phone and it just said, you know, hey, really interested in um, selling uh, your lasagnas? Are you willing? Are you willing to have a chat about how we can? Um, we think we could increase your sales in, and and uh, you know Garfield, and I was like, you know, so I wrote back, hi Garfield. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not knowing who I was talking to. Um, 
So let's have a let's have a Zoom, you know, and um, I remember telling my uh, uh, my offsider uh, Mark is like going, I reckon, I think this might be Garfield. Is it? Don't be stupid, you know. Really, as <laughs> if they're going to write an email like that with you know, there's no um, uh, no branding on it or anything like that. And so then when the Zoom invite arrived, it said Haven Global, and I just thought, oh. I must be a company, you know. And then Mark looks it up and goes, Rob, this is Paramount. I said, Paramount? Is that the 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 guys in Adelaide that sell the, you know, wheelie bins? <laughs> is that <laughs> not me? the movies? <laughs> it's like, so I'm like going, say, oh, see, I told you it was Garfield. And he said, don't be sure. I said, that's impossible. He said, it's a scam. I said, no, you're right. Let's just, let's just go to the meeting. It's a scam. So we go into the meeting and the Zoom comes up and the back of the wall of, uh, of, um, of Adam that we we're talking to is just all the toys of every Paramount movie, you know, of Garfield, of any toy, doll or thing. And we just think, wow, this is a really good scam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're really committed. <laughs> They've gone and, the, whole, the whole slog. <laughs> and then he starts talking and just says about, you know, yeah, we want to um, license uh, uh, Garfield out. You know, our job in Australia is Haven, Haven Global. We have the rights to do all their licensing. We're connected with Channel um, 10, obviously, is they're one of their other subsidiary companies. And and we're just like looking at him and say, so, and just think Garfield lasagna, what a great idea. And you're going, Garfield lasagna. And then Mark under the table starts YouTubing Garfield lasagna. Yes. And sees. And, and that's what he eats. And and that's what he eats. And we're like going, that's right. I remember the movie now. I get it. And so we were just, of course, yeah, we know, we know, we know, we, we know it's a, yeah, like Garfield and lasagna. We know all about it. Yeah, it's his favorite meal. And, and so we were just like, got off the Zoom going, what the hell was that? Like, how <laughs> does that happen? Yeah. So it was pretty How exciting. did it happen? Well, it just, and then from there, you know, it goes to lawyers. And, uh, you know, and so I rang my lawyer and he said, get out. You didn't get that. I said, yeah. I said, well, <laughs> this is the agreement. You've got to read it. I said, Rob, look, you know, we could go through this agreement, which we will, but there's not much you're going to be able to change. <laughs> like, that's just, you either take it or they go somewhere else. Um, and he said, you know, there's going to be some things that you're not going to like. Um, and But it wasn't too bad. He was actually quite impressed by it. And it, then it just... Um, the layers, you know, you deal with um, their legal here, then their legals go to America, and then the legals in America get confirmed by the legals in the UK. Um, it's, you know, and it's so, and then you really, it's interesting that you really have to realize when you lock in this one time, it becomes the duplicate for anything else you do. So, for instance, we already listed the family size lasagna in case it went really well, that we would then, which is the one we're now looking to do. Um, um, so, you know, and it's it's just, um, um, it's very structured. Um, it is difficult to co-promote because they have so many um, branding uh, parameters that you can't cross. Like, you know, and it might just be, help the size of the logo of Nickelodeon. It might be the the way that you've uh, the color. I mean the color you know you to go get the right color for Garfield's logo. But when you when you print it on a sleeve, it could come of a pasta sleeve, it could come out a bit different. Um 
the words you use, the taglines, everything has to be checked. So it's a bit laborious because once you, you have this great idea, you can't just fly like you normally can off the seat of your, your you know, pants. You just like go, wow, let's do this. You've really got to get checked and then, you know, it's got to go through a lot of people. It's quite, it's quite difficult. Yeah. Yes. And meanwhile, your business is still, you're still running your own business. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and doing so at a time when there was a lot of upheaval around the country because it was all, you know, sort of during those COVID years, uh, even though we're going through round eight of COVID now. Um, so I guess let's sort of have a look. That's a really great, you know, good news story. How did, because you were doing ready meals, that was such a growth area, particularly during those COVID years. Was was it something that you really saw? Was there a real uptick? Well, um, I took over the manufacturing company from my partners in 2021 officially um, and we'd just gone through COVID and we'd seen all the Chibo Espresso stores obviously because of COVID shutdowns lost a lot of their food sales because you couldn't dine in and really it was just their coffee sales that remained high. So our our turnover started to drop in the supply and we had to really work out what we're going to do. But at the same time, like you said, the ready meals started to grow. And it was it was um it was a, a risky moment, um, which for some reason I'm attracted to, um, when I took over the business because I knew the supply contract was going to finish. I didn't realize it was going to finish a year earlier. So we had to like, you know, so basically losing $3.6 million turnover in one in one week, like it's gone and staff from 57 to 21, seven-day operation to five, and you're just like going, what else can I do to get turnover up? And we were just, I know, and I'm a bit tenacious like that. I'm good at networking and I'm good at finding things. So next thing I'm doing a contract to run uh, to make vegan food in Australia for a Canadian company as their co-manufacturer, making soup for a uh, English company with Renourish to make their soup in Australia for them, uh, for this English brand. Um, it, it, uh, now we're doing keto meals for a, a brand called Keto. It's, you know, um, So I was just out there, like, what could I do? And then how can I get my sales up if, with, you know, we knew we had to go national. And, you know, uh, my offside of Mark is very cheeky and, you know, he would just push buttons. You know, do the Coles review, come on, put us in nationally, be nice. <laughs> you know, he, he's the sort of guy, you know, there's no very thick skin. He'll just ask, he'll keep pushing. And, and there was a space in Coles and uh, we got it. And, um, and that, that changed things for us dramatically. Um, we'd built the sales up here. Like we're at 240 supermarkets, probably pre-COVID in South Australia mainly, you know, and you got to think today we're at 730. Um, that growth really came from May 21. Um, and, and it just, you know, as the contract fell out, it sort of just kind of married over. And we've probably clawed back about 3 million of that turnover. And that's, you know, you've got to think from 21 to 23, it's two, two years of intense growth and having to go downstairs, this massive kitchen, 
that had 250 skews that we made from a croissant to a gelati to a salad to a sandwich to a panini to a pasta meal to sourdough breads and convert that right down to about 70 and do it in five days production, three delivery runs a week instead of seven delivery runs a week. Um, instead of working a factory 18 hours a day, Monday to Friday, we work at maybe 12 to 13. Um, weekends we used to run for about 10 to 12 hours. Now it's closed. Um, cut down our management staff, like became really nimble. You know, we, we chopped out $650,000 in management wages and built the existing team, took on a lot more work. They grew into skill sets that they probably did have and just weren't utilised. Um, we And we became smarter at how we did business um, and, and, and really drilled down on how to get those sales. You know, the biggest challenge uh, probably going forward for us is how do we maintain them? How do we keep growing? Because we really want to get to a 1,000. And that's just a it's, – it's, it shouldn't be – we should be able to make that. But how do you keep on now promoting nationally from this small base that you started with? Because now we now really need to strategize about how we become a brand nationally that makes everyone feel like my Italian go-to is Cucina Classica because I know consistently I'm going to get a really great Italian food experience and not be disappointed. So that's the challenge. Yeah. It strikes me that from the very beginning you you sort of you sort of can see a spot or you can see a see something that's lacking or within the market and then you sort of give it a give it a go and then and you nail it. So do you think that's just I mean that's clearly your skill set, but do you think that's something that's just innate from growing up in that environment, or do you think it's a skill that you can learn so that if someone's you know running their running whatever their food manufacturing business is, you know to be able to f- see those spots? Yeah, I think it's uh, it can be learnt because I learnt it. I just grew up with it, but I learnt it, and I think what I learnt was how do you you know, you always talk in customer service, how do you make the customer happy? But I think dad was very entrepreneurial and it was like, how can we solve their problems? How can we make it easier for them to buy something? How can we, how can we, you know, find, he was actually good. Actually, probably what I did get that I'm not, that I did grow up with and that was shared with me was just the fact that he would always try something new um, but he was pretty, almost pretty close to the mark, you know. In the seventies, he was on the phone to some Arabic nation trying to sell orange juice. Now, in the seventies, probably it happens for real now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some things he did didn't work, but most things, you know, when he stuck, when you stick to your knitting, I think that's what you got to do. When you stick to what you know. It works. If I and I've done that. Sometimes I've done things outside of food that haven't worked. If I stick to food, it pretty much works. <laughs> yeah, I see. It's um, really so. So, where is it at now? Like in terms of 
Kachen, like how how obviously now we're going national, yes? Yeah, look, national and so where is it out now? So the customer now is my buyer. So I need to make my buyer, I need to save my buyer's problems. Their problem is shelf life and a product. They don't want to throw your product in the bin or or do a discount on it to get rid of it. So I've really got to help them solve those problems. And at the same time, I have to solve the problem of my customer that when they buy a ready meal, they're not disappointed. And they kind of like go, and I probably the best way I could explain how I my philosophy around this Italian food is, it's the same when we did the coffee bars and an, an Italian from Italy would come in and have a coffee and go, oh, that's that's as good as that's as good as Italy. It's not bad, you kangaroos. Yeah, you know. And so, and when I do uh, an Italian pasta meal and I give it to an Italian who's horrified it's coming out of a microwave, yeah. will turn around and say, "Oh, wow, that's really good." And that's that's what we really, really aim for. So, like, you know, my, and I, and from that, I do, I've got a tagline which I will promote more now that I've got it. You know, we we just we have you eating like an Italian in three minutes. That's all we do. It's really simple. So but the market I've got to say has changed a lot. And I think, you know, when you that's probably where the from the growth of um that came for re meals through COVID and there's been a lot of investment in Australia on machinery, kitchens to do more ready meals, more brands. But it's growing. Like the, it's just there's more and more every day, but it's growing. Um, it's this sort of insatiable ap- appetite, isn't it? And people's um, uh, people, are, I think, are really changing the way they eat. So there's convenience in their fridge, have it when they want. Takeaway, another thing that's helped, I think, ready meals, takeaway became really expensive. But also ready meals, quality improved. Dramatically, so um, you you can still see the home brands in supermarkets, and like for us, that's good because then we it makes us even look better. Which yeah. is great. <laughs> um, um, but people learn, uh, I think, doing less takeaway because they get even though the Uber Eats thing happened, I think now they're getting disappointed in the quality they get. Um, uh, the ready meal price point of that, you know. Anywhere between eight fifty to eleven ninety is really reasonably affordable. If someone having to buy fruit and veg uh, ingredients, protein to cook something at home is is actually quite expensive. And so, a lot of people that are wising up on how to save money and who don't have time because we're all becoming time poor. So we know when school's on and sports on, the fridges are full with ready meals. Um, we, you know, uh, we know our um, the customer demographic for Ready Meals has changed dramatically as well because um, at first it was just kind of like it was not as many people were doing it, and now it's the busy mum and dad for their teenage kids. So and then so the teenagers are eating it, then their mum and dad are eating it, then the mum and dad have their parents that are getting elderly that don't really want to cook anymore because they can be bothered. And so they're like think they're like definitely buying ready meals for home because it's easy and they're finding the good ones if they want that sort of quality. 
Um, and then you've got the single people that are like, oh, this is so expensive to cook for myself. This is ridiculous. Like, seriously, I'm just going to buy. Yeah. And so, you know, so all of a sudden our customer base has gone to a teenager, to someone that was in their 20s to their early 30s, to the parents who have the teenagers, to the grandparents. And so, <laughs> you know, and then some actually when you look at how we have to market, we actually have to market to a teenager to convince their parents to buy for them our yeah, brand yeah. and not just buying yeah. any, you know, that want them, we want those kids to be discerning. Yeah. Otherwise, their parents are <laughs> just going to buy them anything. Ah, oh, we're just going to fill yeah, them up there. That'll team. do. Yeah, that'll, that'll do. do. So, yeah. um, we've only got like we're we're running out of time. So, in a a, a ten second elevator pitch, what's uh what what do you see? What's the next gap? What do you see on the horizon? Oh, gee, that's a tough one, isn't it? You just uh, oh, see, I've given you like forty seconds to that. Now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what do I see on the horizon? Um, is it plant-based? Is it working into that space or is it actually something Ooh, it's it, a, is, or is it, a, is it more a format? Hybrid. It will be yeah, hybrid, hybrid plant-based. So actually, and I'm very close to this and I, I know you've had some conversations in a bit of background on this, but like the latest thing that's come out is doing a minced meat patty with 20% minced meat, 20% protein, uh, another 20% of a – a, a new product that hasn't hit Australia yet, and it creates a burger patty that is the same as any mincemeat, and it's at half the cost and half the salt. And if it goes, and if it goes into so health, health is going to be health and sustainability. And if we grow, for instance, in Australia, protein like a faba bean, and we grow enough of it and sell it to the world instead of pea protein, which is bitter and which we all have in our shakes, it will reduce the emissions of growing wheat uh-huh. dramatically. It's so good to talk to you. Yeah, same. And I think I think there's some real, you know, I, I love this sort of long-term view that you have and how you just have that little eye that's going, hmm, I wonder what's happening over there. Let's go and, let's go and poke that bear. <laughs> so it's... um. We will uh, definitely have to chat again down the track, see where you're at. Um, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing, um, you know, sharing your experience and insights. It's been great to catch up. Thank you. That was, uh, it was awesome to speak to you. Well, thanks, Roberto. Thanks, Kim. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from this show. We'll be back in the not too distant future. No, really, not too distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of food and drink business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.